Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Brianne. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for sharing your journey with us. Uh, my name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho. And now after all this, I feel the need to say that I'll be short. But you guys know me well, and I probably won't be. So <laughs> um, this, this morning, as we continue in our teaching series in Advent, I want to talk about a therapist's couch, a counselor's couch. Now, the therapist's couch is a little bit ubiquitous in movies and books, and it's almost a given in our collective imagination as a culture that every therapist has a couch upon which you lie down in their office as you bear your soul to them. Now, I've been to counseling a number of times in my life on a number of different occasions to process things in a number of different counseling settings, and I've been in dozens of other counselors' offices and I have to tell you, I've never seen a couch to lie down on. There have been couches, but not like a lie down on kind of couch. So, I mean, Anne-Marie, where's Anne-Marie? You're a counselor. Do you have a couch in your office? You do? And is it like a lie down couch? No, you see? So, we just need to shatter the myth today, as in our collective imaginations, about the lie-down couch in the therapist's office. Because I always thought I was missing something, maybe, or I wasn't getting my full value for the counseling session because I wasn't lying down. But I don't think that it actually works that way. I think if you uh, need it, counselors don't need couches. You know who needs couches or who monopolizes couches? Dogs. Our dog monopolizes our couch. Take a look at this cartoon. The dog says to the therapist, actually, I'm fine. I just like to have a place where I'm actually allowed on the couch. <laughs> well, last week we began our teaching series for Advent, a time of preparation, looking into the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, where the prophet Isaiah, looking into the future under the divine inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, describes for us the characteristics that will come to define Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the text says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he shall be called. And there's five separate names that are given. Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And that first descriptor we looked at last week, the wonderful. And we talked about how whenever you discover something or someone wonderful, it's just natural to tell other people about that which is wonderful and that you have experienced as wonderful. And so the challenge that we put out last Sunday and then reiterated on the blog this week is to say, how are you telling people about your experience with God this Advent season? Are you inviting people to come into your home? Are you inviting people into settings like this at Jericho where they can hear about the wonderful news of Jesus born to set us free? And so today we come to the second title that Isaiah gives, Counselor. Now the title of Counselor, we need to ask ourselves, how is Jesus a Counselor? Like, why is that title actually given to him? 
Is it that Jesus has like an office that, with a couch in it that you can kind of make an appointment for and have a face-to-face chat in some way? Well, not really. So how is Jesus like a counselor? Why the word counselor used to describe Jesus? On the negative side for a minute, when we talk about Jesus as a counselor, one of the things that we have to contend with is a general perception in our culture about what counselors are and what they do and how Jesus or God might kind of do that type of a thing. So let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, There were two sociologists in 2005 who were uh, Smith and Denton, and they interviewed thousands and thousands of teenagers about their perception of God. And one of the things that came to them is as they listened to young adults in particular describe their experience of God, there was a cluster of terms that they began to uh, use and synthesize. And they said, basically, people in young people, especially in our culture today, have kind of three basic things that they think that God is and does. And they came to call this moralistic, therapeutic deism. They're sociologists, they like to use big fancy words, I'm sure they had a big research grant that they needed to impress people with, and so they came up with this and then wrote it in a book. Now, moralistic therapeutic deism, if you just look at each one of those words, generally when we talk about it, as I read this book, I thought, this is actually how people in our culture perceive God today. So moralism, moralistic. There's a general sense in our culture that following God is about being a good person, or God will help you somehow become a good person, or if you follow God, you should be becoming a good person in some way. So that's the moralism part of it. And then there's deism. Deism deism is the belief that, yeah, okay, I will give you that maybe a supreme being exists in some form and in some way, but I don't believe that that supreme being really cares about what goes on in the world today in any meaningful way. So sure, maybe God created the world, maybe he set it in motion, but he doesn't really actively have any part of the world today, certainly not my life. So that's deism, a belief that God, yeah, he might exist, but he's not going to interfere in any way. And then this notion of it being therapeutic, that somehow God's main job is to make you happy and help you improve yourself into the best person that you can be. And so as Smith and Denton interviewed these thousands and thousands of young adults, they came up with this picture that described a set of beliefs that seems to have taken root in our culture moralistic, therapeutic deism. And the challenge with moralistic, therapeutic deism, other than saying it and understanding what it means, is where the actual impetus for change in your life lies. Because the challenge with it is that the effort in moralistic, therapeutic deism, God ends up owning a massive therapy couch where basically all of humanity is supposed to kind of crawl up onto it 
and figure out how we can become the best people that we can be. But the effort still lies in our part. And if that's so, that is the furthest thing from what Isaiah is describing when he says that God is a counselor or like a counselor. Because God's highest goal in life is not for you to be happy. It's for you to be holy. And he did that through the saving work of Jesus. And so Isaiah, when he says that God is a counselor, he's not a counselor in the way that we sometimes think about counselors. You see, in Isaiah's day and time, in the ancient world, if you were a counselor, this meant that you were a person that had such incredible wisdom that you had access to the ear of kings. You were supposed to give wise counsel and advice to the most powerful people in the world. A counselor was someone who was always associated with kings and royalty because of the incredible wisdom that they possessed. Think about in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, where it describes Daniel and his three friends, and they rise to the rank of counselor to the ancient kings because of the wisdom that God has given to them. So the term counselor implies a possession of divine insight and wisdom. And so when the text suggests to us that Jesus is a divine counselor, it's reminding us that Jesus is the source and the very essence of wisdom for life and for every circumstance that we face in Chaldee, in the Syrian language that Isaiah would have been written to, it translates and reads it, God is the God of wonderful counsel. Because a counselor, when we think of it, we think, oh, counselor is a good listener. And it's true. I think Anne-Marie is an excellent listener. But a counselor in this sense also doesn't just keep good advice to themselves, they share it. And so Isaiah here is saying to us, Jesus is the one who is going to speak and declare the very wisdom of God into our lives. He's going to be the one who, as the book of Proverbs says in verse eight, chapter 8, verse 14, God declares, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding and I have strength. Friends, think about how much in our culture we value wise advice, and yet in some ways how rare it is. It's a very rare commodity that we're willing to pay for, and yet here in the scripture it reminds us that wisdom is a very part and essence of God's character, who he is. It's his nature to be wise, and he desires to share that wisdom with us. That Jesus, when he comes, the prophet Isaiah is saying, is he will speak. He will declare wisdom into the lives of those who listen. If you want understanding and wisdom, Isaiah says, wait for it. Watch for it. Messiah is coming. And when he comes, wisdom will come with him. Because if you want wisdom... The counselor is coming. And so we get this powerful picture in the life of Jesus 
when he comes as to how he counseled people with the very wisdom of God. So what did Jesus, what kind of counsel did Jesus offer to people? Well, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come unto me if you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He counseled weary souls to find rest in him. He counseled those who were wayward to pursue repentance. He counseled people who were sick to come to him for healing. He counseled people who were hungry and who were thirsty spiritually to find fulfillment in him. And then as Jesus comes toward the end of his life, he gathers his disciples together and he says, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to send someone to you. And he says, gives a very specific name to what he's going to send and who he's going to send. And he says, I am going to send the counselor, God the Holy Spirit, to come and counsel you. And so here we see Jesus declaring one of the most precious gifts that God has ever given to us. Jesus told his followers actually that it would be better for them if he left because he promises that he would send the third person of the Trinity to walk with them and to be in them and to counsel and empower and equip them. Turn with me to John chapter 14. And we see here how Jesus describes the outworking of the Holy Spirit as the counselor. In chapter 14 of John, starting in verse 25, Jesus says, All this I have spoken while I am still with you, but the counselor, the comforter, the encourager, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why? Why not be afraid? Because the counselor, the one who has come to give wise insight for living, is coming. The encourager, the advocate, the God of wonderful counsel promises never to leave us without him. And Jesus says that the Spirit will simply carry forward the ministry of wise counsel that he began and that was prophesied in Isaiah. So what does the Spirit counsel us? Well, John says to us, the Spirit teaches us what God wants us to know. The Spirit reminds us what God wants us to do, John 14, 26. The Spirit is going to lead us to places of peace. Sometimes we get confused and we get restless and we begin to have conversations with God and say things like, God, I just want, I wish that I knew with a deeper sense of clarity what you want from me or what you want for me. God, I wish I knew what you wanted me to do in this particular situation. Friends, there's so many times in life where I've asked those questions 
And it's like we rush right past the reminder here in John 14, where Jesus says, I have given my spirit to you as the counselor, the wonderful counselor, who is going to teach and guide and remind and lead you. And so sometimes I find for me, the challenge isn't that the wonderful counselor isn't speaking, it's that I'm not actually heeding the advice that's being given. One of the questions that I ask myself from John 14, 27, because Jesus says, I'm leaving you with my peace, so don't let your heart be troubled. And so if I'm making a decision or thinking about making a decision and spending time praying about it, one of the things that I often will do is ask God to just give me a sense of peace around whatever decision that is. And sometimes that can be insightful and, say, and I say, God, am I experiencing your peace if I pursue this particular decision or action. And if you're governed by fear and internal turmoil, if you're troubled, even after you make that decision, you say, I don't have a sense of peace about this. It can be an indicator that you may not be attending to the advice that the wonderful counselor is giving. Because part of the role that's revealed to us is that the Spirit is going to counsel us to places of peace. Now, that doesn't mean places of ease and comfort. Sometimes stepping out and following God in what He's calling you to do is an incredibly challenging and difficult decision. I think about some of our mission partners represented in this People and Project guides. God has called them to very challenging things. But yet in the midst of it, if you listen to them talk and you read the emails that they send, they have a sense of certitude and about the peace that God has given them. A peace that sometimes the scriptures say passes our understanding. It guards and keeps our hearts in Christ Jesus. The other part that the wonderful counselor brings into our lives in John chapter 16 verse 8 is that a role of convicting the world of sin or guiding us into truth. Because here's the thing about a wonderful counselor, a good counselor, humanly speaking, doesn't just sit and listen to you spout off all of the things wrong with other people, all of the circumstantial issues that make it impossible for you to do anything about what you're talking to them about. A good counselor challenges you to change your thinking and behavior. I actually have a theory, a bit of a suspicion, that this is likely why so many people choose not to go to counseling, because they actually don't want to change. They don't want a neutral third party to hold up a mirror and speak some truth into their life, and then they might actually have to do something about that. The Holy Spirit, however, friends, has no interest in a merely moralistic or therapeutic approach to helping you be the best person that you can be and feel good about your life. The Holy Spirit's role, friend, is to guide you to places of truth, the deepest places of truth. And sometimes the ministry of the Holy Spirit is desperately uncomfortable because God is working in your heart and life to convict you of sin. 
an area that you have hidden or locked away from him and have refused to give him access to. And you know that that's an area of disobedience to God. And you've walked in it for a long time, some of you. And every time you feel like you're getting closer and stepping into a closer relationship with God, the Holy Spirit brings that issue or circumstance to your mind. And then you just step away and say, I don't want to deal with that. The Holy Spirit's role is to convict you of sin and places where the sin has a deep hold in your life because the Holy Spirit is not just a good listener. The Holy Spirit is also giving you in that moment wise counsel. To forsake that and to turn in repentance and embrace faith because a good counselor, any good counselor is capable not just of careful listening, but also of clear advising. I love how this cartoon depicts uh, how some people think about therapy, of just asking endless questions over and over and over again. The cartoon says this. The patient says, here's an idea. Why don't you stop asking probing questions and just tell me what I should do with my life? And the counselor says, and how would that make you feel? See, friend, a good counselor goes beyond just listening about how you feel and begins to help you take steps toward meaningful change, to walk in the right direction in your life. Yes, that might be painful and uncomfortable. And so as a good and wonderful counselor, God the Holy Spirit is capable not only of careful listening, but also of clear advising, leading guiding if we choose to let him. You might think to yourself, yeah, but my situation is different. What in the world could God possibly want to say to me about my eating disorder or my marriage breakdown or my habit of overspending every December or my seeming inability to control my tongue and refuse to gossip? What in the world would God, by his spirit, say to me about those things? See, often when I recommend people to a counselor, I ask them, well, what is it that you really feel like you want to go to counseling for? And then I'm thinking in my mind about, okay, who, do I, what are, who are the counselors that I know? And what do I know about those counselors' area of specialty? And do they have a unique experience in that particular realm that this person is saying that they want help in? Because often if a counselor has an ability to understand the unique nature of your struggle, then you feel like they have a higher likelihood of giving you some hard-won advice. And I think that's why one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament is found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 5, where the writer reminds us, it's not a passage about Christmas or the incarnation in particular, and yet the writer tells us that God is not a distant, unengaged deity, but rather in the person of Jesus, God was and is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because the writer says, Jesus understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. 
So friends, if you ever think to yourself, I'm facing a situation in my life, or I will face a situation in my life, Jesus has nothing to say about it. There's not a verse in the Bible about this. That wisdom that is going to come to you, and we'll talk in a few minutes about how it comes and how it can come. The wisdom that comes from above is wisdom coming from a place of deep personal care and engagement, not a distant place of distant heavenly guesswork. Because you have a wonderful counselor who understands you because he created you and he loves you. And because he was born into humble circumstances some 2,000 years ago, and because he became fully human, he can fully understand your challenges and mine. But because Jesus was also not only fully man, but fully God, he's able to bring the wisdom and the power and the knowledge of God to bear upon your life and the circumstances you will face. Because God is fully able to speak wisdom into incredibly complex circumstances and situations. James chapter 1, verse 5 says it this way. Friends, if you need wisdom, ask. Ask God. And our God is a generous God. He will give it to you, and He is not going to rebuke you for asking. Sometimes we don't have the wisdom that we lack because we just don't ask the wise counselor. And we don't sit with the wise counselor long enough to hear what it is that he might be saying. Well, how do you do that? How do you actually get wise input from the wise counselor? Well, if you want to gain wise advice from the counselor, one of the first things that I would say is immerse yourself in Scripture. You see, if I went to a counselor and the counselor suggested to me that I come regularly to them, which often they do, but I chose, you know what, I'm just going to go when I feel like it. I'm not feeling it today. Or I go to the counselor and I listen to the things that they have to say and I say, you know, that's right, that's good advice. But of the things that they give me to do, I think, eh, I probably don't want to do any of those things. I've paid for the counseling, but it would actually do me no good. Because the reason that you generally draw limited benefit from counseling is when you make a limited investment in the counseling process. And yet, one of the amazing things that's revealed to us in the Scripture is that God says He's given us everything we need for life and for godliness. God has laid out wisdom for living in the Scriptures. And so many times I find that there'll be a situation or a challenge that I'm facing, and I'll sit down, and I'll be confused about it, and I'll make my regular appointment with God. For me, that's in the morning after I have some caffeine in my system and I'm getting engaged and thinking about the day and praying in for people and other things. And then I pick up the scriptures and I'm reading through the chapter that uh, is the next chapter in my reading plan to think about. And it's amazing how many times that I find wisdom that God speaks there in the scriptures for what it is that I've just been wrestling with and praying through. 
And friends, that's why we have a reading plan that we take you through as a, a community here called Project 345. Because if you're willing to keep a three-minute and 45-second appointment with the wonderful counselor and meet him in his word, over the course of the year, you can go through the entire New Testament and get to know God through his word in such a much more richer and deeper way. So that might be for you a challenge point today, an action item. You may want to actually go to Bible.com and download a reading plan. Maybe go through an Advent one, because right now we're in the reading plan that's finishing off in Revelation, and I'm finding it a little bit of tough slugging to do my morning reading in Revelation. So you might want to do any reading plan. Maybe just uh, go and download the YouVersion app onto your phone and just get engaged with that. And you can set it so that it'll email you every morning and remind you. You can even, if you want to set the bar higher, make a person set an accountability plan and it'll remind the other person whether or not you did it. Make a regular appointment. Keep a regular appointment with the wonderful counselor. The second way of gaining access to and being a part of listening and gaining wise advice from the counselor is to immerse yourself in community. Allow other people around you to speak out of the wisdom that God is giving. In Timothy, talks about how people who are older, one of the responsibilities that they have in the faith community is to impart the wisdom that God has given to them into the lives of those who are younger. And so I'm so glad and so delighted that God has given us people here who are well-seasoned and who can impart wisdom and faith and things that they've learned through their journey to the rest of us. This is one of the things that we often overlook. Sometimes we just think we're, we're always praying and saying, oh God, I just need a word from you. I need direct advice from you. And it's like God says, I have given you people around you that are very wise in that area. Just go and ask them. They have insight into the circumstance or problem that you face. And this is part of the beauty of life together in community to ask questions and get wise input into your life from other people. And so maybe for you, that's an action point today. Is you say, I got to figure out how to get into a deeper or closer relationship with somebody here at Jericho who's going to speak wisdom into my life. Maybe it's a small group that just started up that Pastor Wally was talking about that Kevin and Brianne are hosting in their home. And you just say, you know what? I just want to get a part of and around a group of other people that can speak into my life. Some of you need to seek people out who are wise and say, would you have coffee with me on a regular basis? And I just have got some things in my life going on that I need wisdom in. And just like counseling, investing in community is something that you draw out of it how much you're willing to put into it. And so that might be a challenge for you here is saying, what level of investment are you making in the life of others here at Jericho? that then you can draw a return on that investment. Immerse yourself in community so that others know you well enough and you know others well enough to speak into their lives more than just how's it going on a Sunday morning. The third one is committing to walking in responsive obedience. See, if, again, your counselor, you went to a counselor and you sat, not laid down, you sat on their couch And they said to you, okay, I'm going to give you an assignment for this week. You need to go and apologize to that person. And if I came back week after week to that counselor and they said, how did it go with that apology that you needed to make to that person? And I said, man, 
I just didn't feel like doing it. All of the wisdom that I could draw from that counselor is blocked by the fact of an unwillingness on my part to receive the wisdom that they have offered to me. Simply because I had no intention of acting on their advice. Friends, today maybe God has given you or will bring to your mind something that he gave you to do. Maybe a conversation that he wanted you to have with a person. Maybe an act of generosity that he called you to do. And that you know God asked you to do it. But you've just been disobedient. And you've just let it go and said, you know what, I'll get around to it at some point. Thanks, but no thanks. All of the wisdom of the wonderful counselor can potentially be blocked by just areas of hardness and disobedience in your heart because you just don't want to do what God has asked you to do. Friends, maybe today God is calling you to a place of responsive obedience. Maybe it's hard. Maybe it's actually going to someone and saying, do you know what, I have sinned against God and I have sinned against you and I need to repent of that. I need to, I want to ask for your forgiveness. Maybe for you today, you know that you know that God has spoken to you at different times and in different ways in your life. And he's invited you to take a step of faith and obedience and say, I want you to come into a saving relationship with me. And you've said, no, I'm not going to do it. Maybe for you today is that day where God has been stirring something in your heart and in your spirit. And it's an invitation, taking a step and beginning a life-changing relationship with him. And in a minute, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance and faith, and I want you to pray it along with me. Maybe for you, you are at a loss as to what to do in a particular situation or thinking about where to turn. The wonderful counselor is present today and wants to give you insight and wisdom. And so our prayer response team is available at the sides and at the back. And they're not there to dispense personal advice. They're there to take you right into that place of connection with God and say, God, what is the wisdom that comes from above that you're giving to my friend here? What do you want to say about this situation? And then to pray together about that. Friends, it can be a powerful way of building faith and actually asking for humbling yourself enough to say, you know what, I don't know what to do in this situation and I need wisdom from the wonderful counselor. And so today, that prayer team is going to be Constance, Zacharias, and Allie Nicole, and Katie, and Curtis, and myself, and Pastor Wally. And so we would invite, they'll just be in a few minutes around at the side and at the back here. And just as we respond in worship, I'm going to ask Ron and Megan and the team to come, and they're going to lead us in two songs of response. And maybe that's your action today. So you say, you know what, I do need to pray with somebody about this. I need just the Lord to speak into my life in a fresh and powerful way. And I'd invite you to take that opportunity before you go here today.